Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Tennessee Power Hour, final hour, Monday edition. Glad you're with us. Cruz Hall here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. You can join us on social media at Outkick360. You can also chime in on the Facebook page, YouTube channel as well. Just search out Outkick360. Titans win 34-31 in just a crazy game in Indy. No one's seen anything like that. And now we're going to see life without Derrick Henry in the Titans' backfield. Jones fracture is the report uh, confirmed with an MRI that he will need surgery on the fractured bone in his foot, his right foot, that will take place tomorrow. The Titans have signed Adrian Peterson. AP, yes, that guy. Uh, still around and, man, it, uh, averaging four yards a carry and still has... Uh, Gas in the tank. He's he's ready to go. Excited about it, telling Josina Anderson uh, that he's thrilled to get the opportunity with Tennessee and had no intentions after Detroit last year of hanging it up. Well, now he joins the Titans uh, a day before the NFL trade deadline, and it has everyone wondering, are they done making moves in the backfield, or did they sign Adrian Peterson so they can make a move at tight end, at wide receiver, at cornerback? We know how much John Robinson... Uh, covets draft picks and how he maneuvers on draft weekend using those picks. He's not afraid to make a trade. Uh, the question is, is he as all in as what we would expect him to be now without Henry? And the prognosis of Henry's recovery, knowing that uh, the benefit of, if you're going to pick a, a time to do this, if you know it's going to happen, at least let it happen right before the trade deadline instead of the week after, because he's having surgery in the morning of the trade deadline day. So you'll know what the doctor's timeline is. Vrabel said today, doctors and, and physicians love timelines. We'll get that after the surgery is complete. They'll have all that before the deadline hits at 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. He also kind of said he doesn't care about the doctor's timeline. He was rather dismissive of that in a, in a tone that wasn't great. What he meant, play him in what five he, weeks, what he meant is we'll discover the timetable as, as we go based on how he does and they don't hold themselves to things that doctors say. They watch it unfold. One, one well, note about needs Adrian. to watch what the doctors say, too. I know yeah. what he's saying. I think he was taking more of a, uh, even if the doctors say it's eight weeks, we're not going to put him out there unless he's completely ready to go. Even if the doctor, we're going to talk to our player yeah. also listen, about Titans. how he's feeling. But it came across more as if he says in three weeks he's ready to go, we're trotting him back out there no, yeah. so we can run play action. <laughs> That's the way you would perceive it when you say, I don't care at all about a doctor's timeline. No, but this taking what you said about, about check with the player. I These mean, doctors they, are ruining this game. This player. <laughs> the game that I love. The game that I bled for. This would die on the field for. <laughs> this Damn, doctors ruin everything. <laughs> this player's going to want to be out there as fast as possible. I don't think you should put too much into, into him. But the Titans have been very protective of their players in terms of, of timelines, generally speaking. Look at Julio Jones right now. 
look at Lawan with concussions last year and this year or two years ago and this year when he was automatically given a quick week off without much much thought I don't think or much hey let's see maybe he can play you know with their early declaration as to them giving him a week off Adrian Peterson would have been eligible for the Hall of Fame in 2025 this signing pushes him back to at least 2026 so uh, there's one thing in the in the future of Adrian Peterson um, I think they're going to need something more than Adrian Peterson um, I think it's going to be something more than Makai Sargent I don't know if it's coming from somebody else's practice squad, if it's coming from a trade now, if it's somebody else who's out on the street. Um, I think you can get somebody's third back. Also, though, keep in mind what they're replacing here is really first and second down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so while it's a big workload in terms of the numbers that Derrick Henry put up, you can divide it two or three ways. It's not a third down job, generally speaking, though third and short he's been on the field. We've well documented Hutton has just how much they use Jeremy McNichols, though he's only carried the ball seven times. He's the third and three or higher guy. Derrick Henry's also not on the field in two-minute drives, really. Um, and there are a lot of those that, that come up in tight games um, when you're pressing to go. And the Titans are probably going to be in more of those kind of games now without Derrick Henry. So there are some areas where people might not realize he's not as influential, though it's hard to imagine with how many carries he takes. Titans now have more victories than the rest of the division combined. <laughs> it's really... It's uh, ex- a great, great stat. Extraordinary. We're four me- games up on the Colts now with the with the with two the wins break. over them. Yeah, yes. with the tiebreaker. Let me tell you what would have to happen for the Colts to get back in to win this division. Titans um are at 6 and 2. They would have to go 2 and 7 to finish 8 and 9. The Colts would have to win their four gimmies. Jets, Jaguars at the Texans at the Jaguars. I think we all think they should win those four yes. games. Yes. Then they would have to win two of these games. At the Bills, Bucks at home, Pats at home, at the Cardinals, Raiders at home. That would get them to nine and eight to beat the eight and nine Titans. The most improbable thing on that list is the Titans going two and seven. The Titans well, to are going to win a lot more than two games yes, the rest of the way. To go two and seven, the Titans would have to lose to either Jacksonville at home or one of the two against the Texans. And then they'd have to lose those to somebody are, like Miami. Those are three games they absolutely have to win, should win. And then that's that well, erases I mean, your that erases your scenario right there with those three wins. Let's just simplify this. Of their nine remaining opponents, three teams currently have a winning record. That's all you need to know. Yeah. That that's what this hot start has meant for them. Um, they've got and, Houston twice. They've got Jacksonville. They've got Miami. Those four games alone present good. major win opportunities. Rams, New Orleans, and Pittsburgh. They're good in the division. Are the dangerous teams? New England. At New England will be a tough game for this Currently, team now. Currently, they do not have a winning record. Yeah, but they're playing well. Mm. Hit, hit or miss. Yesterday hit was interesting. They, they, we mentioned how Brady has a, a problem with the Saints and Sean Payton. Bill Belichick's got the number on Justin Herbert. He's figured he him out. I mean, they got crushed last year, uh, the Chargers, by New England this year. <laughs> At least they didn't get uh, demolished. I think last year they might have got shut out. 40, 40 something to nothing. Yeah. Um, not, but not so here, here are the Titans. They're going to win the division um, and, and should, barring just 
some crazy collapse just based on the way it's structured now. That so my headline's true win. even with this. Massive win. Um, and w- it's a headline that we wrote last week. I mean, we were discussing that no matter how you pointed to the path and you start looking at the Colts schedule and trying to say, okay, if they come back with only a game's lead in the division, what it might look like. Now, injuries always happen. And the question is, in the war of attrition, when do they occur and how do teams adjust? And how did the Titans adjust to life without Derrick Henry? Because no matter who they replace him with on first and second down, it is a vastly different offense. You can defend this offense differently on first and second down and on third down when they actually choose to keep him on the field for a passing situation. This is, this is uh, the, the adjustments we're about to see from Todd Downing and this offensive staff. Um, maybe they don't happen in one week or two weeks. But how do they get from 70% Henry as the totality of their offense to now going through the other elite talent that they have and possess on their starting lineup, starting with A.J. Brown? Julio Jones needs to be more effective than healthy once every three weeks. Uh, Tannehill needs to protect the football much better than what he's been doing. There, There are a lot of things that need to add up but they now have to be creative in how they go about distributing the football to their playmakers because their best one is not available in the backfield, and that's the easiest guy to put the ball in the hands of. A.J. Brown was excellent yesterday, right? 10 catches on 11 targets for 155 yards. I still had a beef with the fact that he didn't touch the ball till the middle of the second quarter, and that was the 57-yard touchdown. I don't understand how, and I understand they go through the progression and everything, but – A.J. Brown is going to get open. You have to, I think, aggressively try to get, and this is with Henry in the lineup, aggressively attempt to get him the ball a couple times a quarter, starting with the first quarter of a game like that. You were down 14 nothing, and he wasn't in. They had one series, God bless them, they went down and scored where they threw to tight ends. But it seemed like they were almost trying to be clever or something. It worked, so I'm not being critical of it. But... A.J. Brown early and often and rhythmically and regularly. You can't go a quarter and a half now without A.J. Brown being involved. Well, they, they only had 18 first downs for the game. They had 18 first downs in the first half against Kansas City. I mean, the offense was not good yesterday, no. top to bottom. A.J. Brown was elite. 10 catches ties a career high for him in a game. 155 yards is a new career high for him in a game. That's how good yesterday was, and he didn't touch the football to the second quarter. Well, and it's it, there was a, a moment also where they targeted, I think, uh, Chester Rogers on a third down that was incomplete. Yeah, on the sideline. And he was visibly giving the coaches the business about not being targeted on a third Marcus, down play. That might have been Marcus Johnson. His that was first, early on. His first four catches went for a first down or a touchdown. Yeah. And I, that's it's going to yeah, here's I think they outsmart themselves or outthink themselves sometimes with the, how they don't get the ball to him. Here's my big, you know, we need to, we'll get more into this game also and not just talk about moving forward after the Henry injury. But Hutton, you mentioned Julio Jones as an elite part of this offense, should be. When he's played, he's been effective. When, when we've seen the Seattle impact game. of A.J. Brown when he's healthy and playing. When it's Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, it's a different, it's a different team, mm-hmm. different offense. Without Derrick Henry now, can they get to where they need to go unless Julio Jones suddenly gets healthy and is playing every week? 
Well, that With goes whatever back to my the formula is, I, is there any way? I still, my, my opinion, they needed to add someone with a healthy Derrick Henry to the receiving or tight end game to give you that other option. Because I think what we're seeing with Julio Jones is what is going to be the case moving. It's, there's not going to some, be ma- some magical uh, potion that they come up with where he's available for you each week. Um, it's, it's like knowing that the offensive line is really banged up and you're going to have to insert like seven or eight guys on a typical game day just because of the musical chairs and how banged up they are. Guys are going to play, but they're playing hurt. And that, that's Julio. But w- when he's playing, you know he's uh, – can I am I confident he's giving you 50 yards receiving? Yes. 50 to 60 yards, yes. I think he can give you are that. Are you confident he's giving me two quarters? Um, I'm confident he's giving you more yardage than any other wide receiver that's going to start a game for four. How would you place your bets on that? Uh, more yardage, yes. But I still – I need production. I need four quarters. I, I mean, need I, production. I'm well, looking at yards and production. I got two guys on the outside that can produce – Everyone else is a huge question mark. But this team needs to play four quarter games. So if you well, if he's done it, congrats half-time, to David Quesenberry who played four quarters. Well, uh, the skill players need to play four quarters. If he's gone at halftime and they're in a game, he's not doing me any good on the bench in the third quarter. But what did it he do for you in the first the half? Well, he and helped it, me in the first half. But they help don't run you more a, than the other guys. But they don't run away from teams. They're going to be in the game in the third quarter. They're not going to be running away from teams without Derrick Henry. They don't run away from anybody ever, really. Nobody, nobody does hardly. What does it matter if your skilled guys are playing four quarters if you're not doing anything? Yeah, I mean, who who is who's I, the big I'm saying they need Julio Jones in, in the game for four quarters and doing something. Well, they're not getting that. So you were arguing that they shouldn't go trade for a wide receiver. I, I want I want more production at that position behind those two guys. There's not a capable number two if Julio's not out there. I, I want him out there and playing. Well, he's not out there and playing every week. And there's not some magical potion that's going to allow that to happen. This is what this is just how it's going to be. This guy's going to be in for a, a game and a half, and he's going to miss a second half moving forward, and he's going to be out for the following week, and then he comes back. I mean, he's going to act like he doesn't have a hamstring injury with the media and everyone's going to laugh at it and Julio will be back in a week. Well, if, if that's the case, then I don't know how they get to where they need to go as an offense Well, they, they without could, making another big addition. Well, they could pull it off with Henry and A.J. Brown, but that's my point now. And, that, and that's, what I, that's why I asked the so question. Now that we, we're definitely down Derrick Henry, you know, moving forward, is it even possible to have a puzzle, to have the pieces to put that puzzle together to now be good enough on offense to win big in the playoffs without a completely healthy Julio Jones. I think it's going to be very tough for them to win big in the playoffs. And I'm sorry, but every time that I hear hamstring injury, I, I blame preparation. I know that I asked pro football doc about it. He said, oh, you know, there are times that these guys have big, strong hamstrings. And I, I pulled my uh, hamstring a few times, not because my hamstrings are so big and strong. It's because I didn't stretch. <laughs> Well, and I think that's part of the problem. I think when you have soft tissue injuries, they are largely preventable. It's not because you're so strong and your hamstring is so big. I think they're up because guys don't play anymore in the preseason. And they, they I mean, they didn't do anything well, last whatever year. Whatever the reason is, and maybe I'm being uh, ridiculous well, up about around it, the but league, not just when league. I hear hamstring injury, I immediately think you could have done something to prevent that. That's I mean, one of the few injuries you could do something to this prevent. This guy, I mean, Julio barely practiced. This preseason, and it wasn't even about playing; it's about practicing. These guys, their their offense is starting to come together and gel over the last couple of games because they didn't really do anything together during the the preseason. Another topic that the coaches didn't want to address. Yeah, 
over and over refused to address while we were talking about it on a daily basis. I mean, 16 days of, of uh, effective training camp without one practice with everybody together. Well, I mean, they, they could look at that now and say, see, we weren't going to have everybody well, together. So here's the big moving forward now for the Titans, though. Everything we know about them preseason, all of that. Everyone's going to need to elevate to try. You're Absolutely. not going to replace Derrick Henry, but everyone's going to elevate. Nick Westbrook-Akina can't give you any more. He is giving you every ounce of ability he has. Agree. So then something's got to give. Well, and it's not Julio Jones's other hamstring. Well, I'd rather have gives. It. He's got to play, or they have to go find someone that can play because the possibilities of guys elevating. I think those those Chester Rogers, Nick Westbrook, Aquina, those guys are giving every ounce of everything that Hutton brought up. David Quesenberry. David Quesenberry is what he is. That's the best you're going to get. There's no elevation to his game. That's an offensive line example. They're going to have to get some skill that can elevate. I'd like to see a tight end. But I don't, I, I don't know how incomplete beyond Henry John Robinson thinks this team is now. Well, I think I'm not saying it's right. I'm just getting inside his head. He has. They've just won four in a row. Now he lost he his stud just running. Just less than 24 hours to determine the moves that need to be made to structure this roster to go win in January. I have maintained this for months. This goal has not been set on winning the division. This is about making a run in the postseason. So the the six and two record right now that should be seven and one has allowed you flexibility to not have Julio Jones every week and drop a game here or there and still win a bad division. That that is the luxury that they're in. This is not about winning a bad division. This is about making a run and being a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. Well, all and, they're assured of now is winning a bad division. They, they, are, they are assured of making a trade now if they'd like to. And by tomorrow at this time, they will not be allowed to do so. That's my point. You have an opportunity to make a roster move to strengthen what is a weakness. And the weakness is when you don't have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones without Derrick Henry, all you have is A.J. Brown. Tight ends aren't really stepping up. You've got uh, a bunch of number three wide receivers at best who are maxing out or not meeting expectations. And beyond that, you have Ryan Tannehill's now turning it over and throwing into triple coverage. And he has a sore neck because he's going to hit so much. In a way, Hutton, what you're saying is it's a, it's almost, if it's going to happen, I would it, was make a a blessing, it was a blessing to happen before the trade deadline. Oh, I would it's make definitely a, move. a blessing to happen. So where now you have to go deadline. make a move. But I would rank it right now uh, running back who wouldn't be very expensive and and tight end. That those are the moves, and maybe cornerback, or find a way to pull off a deal like the Rams did with Von Miller. I mean, there are ways to get really good players that's not that expensive. Well, they don't have a second round there to give, so the Von Miller return is already half, half gone. Coming up, we uh, examined the the game that was just pure craziness towards the finish. And look, the the Titans also, to their credit, at six and two, they have had players step up in some key moments. Their defense needs to receive some credit today with all the attention on Henry, and rightfully so. The penalties were awful. But what they did, aside from the penalties, won them a big football game that allows them a little breathing room when their best player just went down for months. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360.
Talking Titans and their 34-31 win over the Indianapolis Colts. Outkick 360 rolls on. Boys, uh, lest anyone still be panicking over Derrick Henry, which we've uh, been talking about, I I just want to share a tweet with you, somebody who has all the answers, Enrique Gonzalez. Uh, He takes us to the world of film. Takes us to the world of film. Titans need to watch the movie Friday Night Lights. Same thing happened to them, but it didn't break them. Also, they need to watch Remember the Titans. Both true stories. So hopefully Mike Vrabel, I can get this to Mike Vrabel, to just have a screening of these two films. Everything will be fine. Would you have pointed this out if this guy subscribes to your site? (laughs) I have no idea if this guy subscribes to my site. I thought whether he was being funny or serious is kind of pathetic. Surely he's being funny here. I hope so. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. The wording uh, makes it sound like maybe he could be. It is so, it, I, I know this now. I know it every time that I tweet something out, but the lack of comprehension from people on what is meant to be funny and what they find to be serious is at an all time low. I think this guy's probably being serious because he's probably just a huge fan. That's getting emotional. You had to remember we'd watch Hoosiers before big basketball games in junior high or high school back in the day. Like that's just what you do is you watch inspirational sports movies. Also a true story, by the way, for those. I think you. Have I just to. saw and I said Friday lights about it. you could also read the book because it's about a thing that actually happened. Uh, I <laughs> think whole, you have that to, whole story on a tweet like this where there's any potential for it to be read seriously. If you're being funny, you have to parenthetically say joking or kidding or ha ha. Or something but to make it does, clear you're kidding. I, I, I guess maybe I give people who can read too much credit that they can understand when someone f- fully is uh, understands what's going on. Give me an example. I, I tweeted out yesterday, in a weird way, smart move by Carson Wentz to throw the pick six because that's the only way the Colts could have scored to tie the game. Safety would have effectively ended the game because they have to give it back to the Titans and they're one first down away, and either way, they're going to exhaust their two timeouts and kick it back to them with virtually no time. And people took that like I actually thought Carson Wentz intended to throw a pick six. I started with, in a weird way, for a reason. If you have ever read me on Twitter or know me from this show, you know I'm smart enough to know that Carson Wentz didn't plan. Guys, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop back, I'm going to get immediate pressure, and I'm going to throw a left-handed pass to the Titans for the pick six. It ended up being the smart play because anything else would have ended the game. And guess what? I was proven true because they went right down the field and scored a tie of the game in overtime. Yeah. Amazing, though, how people see that and just think, oh, this guy thinks that... I mean, no, of course I know he didn't plan that out. I argued with you a little bit because the smart play was to immediately recognize trouble and get down in the field to play or throw it away in a way well, that Well, he had no chance. He, the ball was snapped to him in the end zone. So getting down the field to play would be getting down in the end zone for the safety. He could have gotten forward. Bud Dupree fell down rushing him. There was two beats there where he could have done something. It was a horrible play call. And he didn't process. Horrible play call with a screen that's a slow developing play to begin with. Harold Landry drops into coverage and ruins the Colts' plans of throwing the screen to Mo Cox. And because of that, because, because Landry wasn't rushing, he was planning on dropping into coverage. There was no screen available in time for Wentz to get the football out. And it, it Paul was, wants him to get rid of it left. The problem with it is the play is set up to go to the right. So he's he's looking left to set up the screen that never actually took place. And by then, 
He had to throw with his left hand. I it, think he could have done better with it. Well, it was look, he was bad all day. And this is what Carson Wentz does when he his gets other it, he tries to make too. something happen. And he ends up doing these weird things where he's throwing backhanded passes at people that aren't looking. They always and go high. Left-handed. Well, either I mean, yeah, it was that's what he does though when he gets in trouble. Is he tries to do anything he possibly can to get rid of the ball. That's, that's how he's and that made, turned into a, a pick. But he's that made was, millions off of throwing high passes. He gets away with this um, because the rules are set up, guys, for the quarterback to do this. It, well, it, the think, rules are against the defensive backs, and because he throws such a high pass, by the way, always underthrown underthrown on purpose yeah. because receivers are trained with Carson Wentz to come back to the football and then you're screwed because you're getting a defensive pass interference. I think Amani Hooker's got to find the ball and do better than he did there. I understand there were a lot of penalties called in this game um, and a couple of them were questionable. I think Jeffrey Simmons should not launch himself into the back of Michael I, Pittman. I, I agree with you Whistle there. or no whistle. Four guys I, are I, I holding think- up the player. He's coming from the other direction that is the very definition two, of unnecessary rough. Two it's things not are necessary, true. and it's rough. Two things are true on this play. The refs have to do a better job of blowing the play dead when the guy's in the grasp of five defenders being thrown back. And two and, and Titans fans are really doing some mental gymnastics as Just they try fine. to look at that neck like, you play to the whistle. Jeffrey Simmons had no reason to launch his full body into a guy's back who's being pushed into the backfield by four of his teammates when he runs across the line. He knew he was trying to get a cheapie in before the whistle was blown, and he deserved the penalty for it. Also, refs got to do a better job of blowing the play dead, but okay. it was unnecessary. I will say the rules. And it was a dumb play in the moment, especially when your team is off the field. The rules contradict themselves they on do. this, though, because if that was an offensive lineman, an offensive lineman could have drilled his running back in the back the same way I agree pull, with you. push him forward. Push him forward. So I, if I this think, is all about health and safety, that, that, that makes zero sense to me. I think in also, general, Byard, they need to do a better job of just stopping plays Vrabel, when it's like Vrabel that. said of Byard's penalty, well, he prevented a touchdown, which is kind of a ridiculous defense. Byard said he was writing his apology speech for a play that lost the game. It saved a touchdown because the guy got way behind him. You know, so defend it better. Uh, well, you can't let somebody behind you at that moment in the game. It saved a touchdown, which was scored on the next play. Bayard was completely apologetic and and remorseful saved about a touchdown that play. For a defense and then he, that is great on the goal line, Paul. True yeah, or false? True. But so they scored, give up the touchdown or or get, take the DPI and well, make them run another snap with with your guy Carson Wentz who wants to throw left handed. Yeah, at that point, commit the penalty, but don't let the guy behind you. And he made the play that redeemed himself, which was great. It was a great story all around. But they committed too many penalties. It was a, that crew oh. calls too many penalties, but they committed far too many well, penalties. Well, I, I heard a lot from from people. They're oh, they, you know, this crew calls so many penalties on replay. I saw a lot of holds. Yeah, I mean, I, also, I saw a lot of holds in defensive pass interference calls. Probably got away with a couple of PIs in the first half that didn't get called. It's just uh, it, it, it did get to the point though where um, and I, I agree I I don't have a big problem with many of the DPIs that were called on on the Titans. How could you? I mean, they, they but it, it also it's bad when and then the the penalties again they were the right calls. But when you see it so much when you're the Titans that even on a good defensive play you're seeing it. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. waiting for the flag to come out. I don't know that's the spot you want to be in when you're viewing a game from from that lens. And Jay Feely was all over Amani Hooker saying that he got in early on one play. I thought it was the perfectly timed play. Bang, bang. And on review, he, he was, was right. He got in a little bit early, but I'm glad they don't call something like that because it's so bang, bang. 
and he broke it up that you don't want to see that happen I over and over again. It's a bad and bag. I would have said the same thing if it was the Colts on the other end of it. I mean, it looked in live action like a perfectly timed, great defensive play on a pass. But the whole strategy from the Colts of just throwing it deep, throwing it short deep where the guy's coming back and you get the DPI, it's a smart strategy. You can hate it all you want, but the Titans were committing pass interference, and it's a smart strategy. And because of that, they went right down the field after the pick six and tied the game and got it to overtime. Well, despite the penalties, they they won this game because of A.J. Brown and because of their defense. This defense faced 51 passes and allowed only 27 completions. That's their second best effort of the season. We said that we wanted uh, that they would want once to throw a lot. They didn't sack them a lot. But they certainly uh, saw a lot of balls hit the ground. Well, they also, on top of that, they faced, let's see how many yards they gave up through the air. Uh, The first play went 37 yards. So not even pass plays. The first play went 37 yards. First play of the game. On the screen. After that screen, 71 plays for 270 total yards. So... I mean, that, that's the Titans' defense improving and winning the game. Uh, two massive plays by uh, at, the, at the very end to get a touchdown and then a pick that, uh, that ends the game uh, in overtime after uh, you, you have Randy Bullock hit the field goal. Um, 13 times this season, going back to Wentz, 13 times this season, a quarterback has attempted 50 or more passes in an NFL game. No quarterback has thrown for fewer yards when attempting 50 passes than Carson Wentz. That's, and this uh, is a depleted secondary. Pretty impressive. This is against a depleted secondary. I thought all things considered, with all the penalties, and you can say, well, there were too many or there were just the right amount based on what the Titans were doing, the defense still stepped up and forgot about whatever happened the previous play and continued to make big plays. And the defense needs to keep going. Christian Fulton could be back this week. Uh, whenever it is, uh, Tier Tart, they need back. Um, but we're talking about all the people that need to step up in light of Derrick Henry being gone. The defense, count the defense there too. It's doing well and it's going to need to do more to, to help the offense turnovers that set the offense up with short fields, um, you know, uh, some scoring itself, all of those things. It's asking a lot, but. Everybody on this team is going to have to help make up for Derrick Henry's absence. What did you guys think about the defensive holding on, I think it was Chris Jackson, yeah, that on was, the sack uh, that, that also would have ended that drive? I didn't see that call. It couldn't have been close to the action. I think that one's probably the most objectionable. It negated a great pass rush from the Titans. Yeah. That was the second time on that drive the drive would have ended. The other one was a Simmons penalty for unnecessary oh, roughness. That's right. that's and right. then right after that, they appeared to have a sack get off the field on third down and they called a defensive holding. That one hurt a lot. I don't even remember the replay of that. I don't think they showed a replay of that, which is part of why it remains in, in mystery. Uh, mentioned you know, a lot of the talk today is about replacing Derrick Henry. And that's fair. I think another way to phrase it is how does with, without Derrick Henry, how does Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown, how does that timing and rhythm, which has been elite 18 catches on 20 targets over the last two weeks, how does that continue without Henry in the lineup? Because uh-huh. that, that, the, the trio was elite whenever they target AJ and when they were handing off and doing play action with, with Henry. How do you keep that going without Henry in the lineup? So it's not about, to me, replacing the yardage of Henry. It's replacing 
the idea of a of a uh, potential first down type run with whoever's behind you. Well, again, that front seven is not going to be hesitating on that stuff, and so your offensive line, which is is really a run offensive line that does okay enough, right, in pass protection, is now going to be straight pass protecting more or or play action pass protecting that's not a believable play action anymore, more burden on them. Are they up for it? We're going to find out. David Quesenberry, who we've talked about a couple times here kind of jokingly, well, he's surviving because he's a sufficient run blocker who can do okay in pass protection because things are based on the run. Well, things are a lot less based on the run today than they were yesterday. Well, even 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 though things were based on the run, you're giving the offensive line too much credit here. Uh, they still gave up 20 sacks when things were based on the run. 21 yeah, sacks. Well, they've settled down. Well, they've gotten set, better. Settled down, but again, it goes back to Tannehill's ripping, the, he's getting rid of the football extremely fast. Uh, we noted that last week. And... I think the the other part of this is you you had teams that were run blitzing on downs where they decided to throw on first and second down off play action. Yeah. So you you took advantage of it. And now Nate Davis has a concussion. Is he out yeah. of protocol? Well, Raidens or is Raidens in there? And then you're in even. You Raidens know. was not good yesterday. Not good. And Vrabel gave a thing about well he's making progress and as long as a guy's making progress and I'm thinking man you're talking about a second round pick in the middle of the season and you're giving him a gold star for quote-unquote progress how how is Tannehill's progress with the sore neck what did what did Vrabel say about him today he, he indicated he's okay but I I thought I'll be he was surprised concussed. if he's not on the uh on the injury report initially I don't I'm not saying I I saw signs of I thought with the way he hit his head oh, yeah. and how he's staggering off to get up slow he's just he sore. called for help yeah right? no he's just I mean, sore he but like you're, you're, I'm thinking man what is is he does he know where he is like legitimately no. worried about that. It did that. not look good. I thought of you guys as soon as I saw that because we've talked time and time again about how uh, when the sacks were really bad, we said, that's coming. Like, expect it. Well, even without the sack, uh, let's go back to that. So you're saying they're doing better. Without the sacks, he's still taking hits. Yeah. But so, overall, it's better. The hits are down, too. Well, the sacks don't, don't, don't put you in third and long, but you're still taking a shot on the quarterback. That's... That's why I made the point I did on, you know, everyone knows it's a pass with McNichols because you can just tee off on the, the passing quarterback because whoever's in the backfield, you, you know is not going to get a handoff on any fake, right? So, yeah. so it goes back to just another hit on your quarterback. And he's taken a lot of them. He took uh, five hits yesterday. Usually that number's eight, nine this season. So it is slightly better, but it also... It doesn't matter how many, it matters which one, right? This game, it's more of a case, well, he took five, but one of them was yeah. the worst one of the year, it looked like, based on the way he and got up slowly and pointed to the sideline. Yeah, but that hit was the turf. It wasn't the hit that, that caused it. It's the way his head snapped back and hit the turf. Yeah, he folded up. That back. caused the, the issue with his neck. It did not look good. That was with you. I, I immediately thought concussion, and happy that's not the case. Well, hope, hopefully he's... He's able to to practice and prepare for yeah, a neck, you know, a new look offense. You go to bed a couple nights and don't sleep perfectly, or it doesn't let you sleep perfectly, and uh, you know, neck stiffens up. Any other you can't turn your head well. Uh, Nate Davis had a concussion. Crookshank had a concussion. Simmons had that ankle. 
I might be missing uh, one or two. Those guys mostly, not the concussion guys, but right, the rest the of them returns. finished game. And then, of course, Tannehill Henry. neck. Autry had something early, too, maybe a foot. Great job by Autry and uh, Bud Dupree on that play um, at the end of the fourth quarter with the interception yeah, by Mulder. Dupree's the guy that got his hands on the quarterback, but – but Autry was there forcing that throw to be ridiculous. With, and he's so big and lanky. Two straight uh, games with, where both of those guys have come up big. Dupree really has, uh, since, since he talked about his injury and got that game or two off there, he's much more himself now. Um, and you can see what, what it is that made him such an attractive free agent. Coming up. Josh Heupel spoke with the media in Knoxville today about their upcoming matchup against Kentucky. We'll give you some news and notes there. We'll also circle back to the Titans aspect of replacing Derrick Henry, and that now turns to Adrian Peterson. No idea if Peterson's going to be able to come in and give much of a contribution on Sunday night football against the Rams. I think he'll he'll do everything he possibly can to get ready, but again, this is a quick turnaround. Von Miller, meanwhile spoke about that. He's been dinged. He spoke about being ready for Sunday Night Football. He is now an L.A. Ram. We'll tell you what he had to say next on OutKick 360. Titans have officially placed Derrick Henry on injured reserve. Daniel Munyer, the backup center, has been designated to return from uh, IR him, to the active roster. Need him snapping like he did in uh, training camp. Give Ryan Tannehill a workout. Go up to the left, up to the right, up to the left, up to the right. Oh. Man, they love, they love that guy, don't they? The guy I, cannot I snap know. his way out of Nashville. Why? I mean... Uh, he must really know the playbook well. Brewer is... <laughs> is ready. That's always, the, that's always the rationale behind bad players. Being like, you know, the guy really understands the playbook. Outkick 360 uh, rolls on. Uh, Josh Heupel and the Tennessee Volunteers getting prepared for Kentucky this week. Kentucky falling to Mississippi State this weekend uh, in a game that we previewed Chad on Saturday and said, hey, this is a Kentucky team that's kind of put up or shut up because they've survived some, some outings throughout the season that you thought were upset prime for their opponent. But Kentucky held on, and credit to them. But Mississippi State has been playing well as of late. They're getting much better on offense. Despite not having much of a run game, it was a passing performance that Kentucky and a quarterback and wide receiver tandem and a head coach that they had not faced and been threatened all that much to this point. And it was a lot different on Saturday where Mississippi State controlled that game in Starkville. And now Kentucky limps back to Lexington, albeit uh, it'll be a packed house and a, a chance for Kentucky. They feel just as, as optimistic as, as Tennessee fans do about winning I'm excited about the matchup and the atmosphere. Uh, Josh Heupel should be too. Yeah, and uh, forecast right now in the uh, high 20s, upper 20s uh, Saturday night, and likes that this game is always seemingly freezing cold wherever it's played. Um, Will or, Rogers, or, like, or, or if not freezing, just real cold and rainy. Yeah, one of the two. Will Rogers, 93% pass on, on Saturday. <laughs> Broken SEC single game completion percentage record. I believe he broke the record of T. Martin. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the 19, I think the 98 season against South Carolina. Anyway, bad performance for Kentucky. Kentucky is extremely, if you can slow down their run and stop their run, they're not a good passing team. 
And Mississippi State showed that. Uh, they were a yard below their season average, yards per rush, uh, and Mississippi State handled them Saturday. And four For turnovers. For Tennessee, yeah, and four turnovers also. Uh, this is This is, if you're Tennessee, you probably want Kentucky to go ahead and win that game and not have the loss and then be coming back home. Tennessee's in a great spot here, though. They were a three-and-a-half-point underdog at Missouri. They opened as a two-and-a-half-point underdog in Kentucky wow. on Saturday night. When you um, see when you see this Kentucky team, I don't know how it's two and a half points. It should be like a half point for the home team. They, they had they had just two hundred sixteen total yards and were outscored thirty one to seven over the final three quarters of the game. I think so much of this also comes down to Tennessee's health. Uh, Josh Heupel addressed it today and said, right now, Hendon Hooker, Cade Mays, Tyon Evans are trending towards playing on Saturday. He's never going to be overly definitive. I don't think he's going to come out, even if they're 100%, he's not going mm-hmm. to come out and say, they're 100% full go. <laughs> he's going to say, they've been banged up, we're going to monitor them this week, you know, yada, yada, yada. But he said they are trending to playing on Saturday. That's big. Hendon Hooker needs to have the ability to run this game. Kentucky's defense is good. They're big and strong on both lines of scrimmage. That is going to be a challenge for Tennessee. But from what I've seen from Tennessee, I think they're the better team than Kentucky. That sounds weird for a team that's 4-4 four and four versus a team with only two losses. But when Tennessee's playing well, I think they're better than Kentucky. Um, we'll see how they come out and play Saturday night. Uh, one thing that jumped out to me also, Josh Heupel was asked about Harrison Bailey. He didn't hold back. He said, I love the kid. And when he was here, he competed. He did everything we asked. He went to class. He was in the playbook, was a good teammate. But yeah, I got a problem with the timing. He well, said, I, there's no reason this couldn't have been done in a month when the regular season ends and you could have inst- entered the portal. Um, well, it doesn't, I, it doesn't help Harrison Bailey if he waits a month. I thought it was, I thought it was refreshing that he said that. So, uh, but it, it, that only benefits Tennessee. Well, I think he's saying if you're, if you're going to talk about being a great teammate you, when you're brothers and you're sad to leave, you could have waited the month. I don't know how much it helps him. The only line of thinking is now I'm just in the portal so people can start to Make evaluate me. And then they're not going to go take someone. But you can't take anyone right now anyways. So basically, you just want to be top of mind no, you, you can, for people out there. But you can take other. You can take freshmen next month. That's the point. If you're transferring, allow teams to know you're going to be available. Yeah, freshmen in December. In mid-December. Right, next take, month. The season ends well before that. But before No you, freshmen are going to be taken before he would before, leave the team after the Vandy before game. Before you start making offers or further offers and you extend certain things, I would want to know if I'm going to be available next year. Here, I'm letting all the teams know I'm going to be available. Yeah, I mean, he made a personal decision that, that he wanted to get out a month ahead. And also, ahead. this idea that, oh, you, well, teams can't take you until you know later anyway. Um, you can get verbal agreements right now if you so choose. What's the NCAA going to do about that? Yeah, I would think He knows that, where he's going. Look, I, I would think... It a, may not be, you know... It, MTSU's available. Let and me throw that out there. I mean, this is, this is the other thing, too. Like, Miles Brennan at LSU. Everyone has known Miles Brennan's going to... Tra- Everybody's known Harrison Bailey's going to transfer at the end of the year, right. all season. Now it gets out, well, Miles Brennan is going to transfer. Well, no, duh. He's right, not right, the starter. Right. He's going to go somewhere. I guess my point here is, Harrison Bailey has an agent that handles his NIL deals. You're telling me the kid can't be there as a third-string quarterback with his teammates for a month while his agent handles where he's going to go next and line that up. He Does he have to leave the team and practice right now? The answer is no. It's his right to do so. So he can go ahead and physically have his name in that portal where coaches can see it. 
I'll also say, if he's truly a five-star quarterback, he's going to have no problem finding a destination, well, he's regardless not. of when he decides to come out. They Rivals threw that, that fifth star on him right after he uh, got the offer from Tennessee and committed. Yeah, the bottom line is he's rightfully questioning his own ability right now. And he should be. Well, but... Uh, Based on what we've seen from Harrison Bailey and the fact that he wasn't is, starting over This is Joe the problem Moulton. with the system, though. When Josh Heupel didn't play Harrison Bailey earlier this season when he had the opportunity to do so, this is what it leads to. Right or wrong, and Heupel you know, chose not to do it, this is what it leads to. Where you have a quarterback who enters the transfer portal officially and releases a statement that he's no longer a part of the well, he's team. He's not the first and he won't be the last right. that leaves midseason. We are back at it tomorrow. Plenty to discuss in the world of the NFL. Enjoy Monday Night Football tonight. Chiefs need to get back on track. We'll discuss and it tomorrow, will. plus Henry and more on Outkick 360. Like Carson Wentz with my left hand, don't block the box, do lock the lock.